Last time we were together, I can't say last week because we had a week off, um, uh, at least a week when we didn't gather together, but um, last week, when, I mean, last time when we were together, we talked about Jesus, and we talked about the promise that came. There, we talked about how there were prophecies about Jesus before he came, and we talked about um, Simeon at the temple who prophesied over Jesus, and then we talked about uh, Anna, who prophesied about Jesus, and we kind of focused on some of the non-traditional people that we don't generally talk about at Christmas time. We always talk about the shepherds and the wise men and, and all of that, but I wanted to focus on something different. Well, this week it's really different, okay? We're going completely in another direction, so you're going to say, was that a Christmas thing? And maybe not. It won't be, but um, the Lord has had me fixated on the person of Noah in the Bible so we're going back to Genesis chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 is the chapters. We're not going to read all those chapters. Everybody said amen. But if you go back and want to read about Noah, you actually start in, in, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 5. But as a foundational scripture, as a foundational scripture, Luke chapter 17. You can also find the same scriptures in, in Matthew. But in Luke chapter 17, it says this. This is verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will it also be in the days of the Son of Man. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And isn't that encouraging? Um, but now, if you would, just go over to Genesis, and we'll, we will springboard from there. Basically, I mean, that Scripture and what's listed in that Scripture doesn't sound all that bad. I mean, it just talks about them eating and drinking and marrying and, you know, having wives, and they're basically going about their lives. But it says, and, and as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be when the Son of Man, in the days of the Son of Man. And so basically what's portrayed in Luke, what's portrayed in Matthew is just that people are busying about their lives. They're just doing the things that people do, living out their lives. And, uh, but if you go over to Genesis chapter 6, there's a whole different story that's portrayed. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start with, with verse 5. And I am, again, I've been saying this all year long because it's true. I'm, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation this year. It says in verse 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness in the earth. And he saw that everything they thought and imagined was constantly and totally evil. Man, the, the strength of those words. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them. And put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Isn't that interesting how it says that? It says it broke his heart. All of God's expectation, all of God's intention, all of God's love that he wanted to pour out of mankind. And instead mankind just t turned to total evil. Everything that they thought about, everything they desired to, to do was total evil. And it says in verse 7, and the Lord said, listen to this. This is really bad when you come to this place, and this is God's only remedy for fixing things, right? This, is, this was the remedy. The Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. All the people, all the large animals, all the small, small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. And then it says, I am sorry I ever made them. But praise the Lord for verse 8. In verse 8, it says, But Noah found favor with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, dear God, because it is a full course meal. It's superfood. God, it does more than just nourish us and strengthen us, dear Lord. It equips us. It prepares us. Causes us to line up with your purpose and plans, your God, but also invitalizes in, in, in us. It infuses us, your Lord, with the strength to be able to, to, to have wisdom and to move in your might and the power of your strength, your God. So I pray today, 
As we spend time in your word, Lord, would you open it to us? God, take what is, is shared, your Lord. And God, we, firstly, we want you to speak to us. But then, Lord, take what is shared and apply it to our lives exactly like a bomb in the area that we need it to be applied, imp- applied in, your God. And Lord, may it cause us, your Lord, to be effective in the work that you've called us to do. And God, we'll give you all praise and all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So everybody's already jumping up and down excited about this. Um, but we find that mankind has gotten to a place where there's just total depravity. It's a total loss. I mean, God has gotten to the point where it sickens him that he made man. It, it says, it, in this, the way it's written here, it says it broke his heart. I know some of you probably have uh, experienced some of this with, with your households. You've, uh, some of you, it may be people that you chose to reach out to to try to help out. Some of you may have been, been some that you raised in your household where you've poured your life and your love into somebody. And then, and I'm, you know, this is more pervasive than, than uh, in other words, this is, affects us broadly, a lot of people. But after pouring your life and your love into somebody and trying to do your best with the ability that you did have to raise them, then you find that they just completely turn and go a different direction. And as a parent or as a loved one, someone who's been the caregiver, it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart to see them do that. What is your desire? Your desire is to, to not to necessarily to destroy or to wipe them out or become vengeful towards them, but your, desi- your desire is really that you would see them change and turn from their ways and, and be different. Well, God was at a point to where he had worked with mankind so long that it finally got to the place he said, there is no remedy here other than to just wipe them out. You know what? In, in light of the rest of this story, I sure am glad for the rainbow. You know, I know that right now we've got uh, people in the earth that flaunt the rainbow as their banner of their willfulness and desiring to do exactly as they want to do without any kind of restraint, and it's become uh, perverted. But the reality is the rainbow was God's banner that he put in the sky to remind himself and to show mankind that, that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. And even the use and the waving of that rainbow today by people who have no heart for God, who aren't trying to seek God, aren't trying to follow his ways, the reality is even their demonstration and use of the rainbow colors is really still reminiscent of the fact they're waving that rainbow before God and say, look, you know, you said you would never do this before. The judgment is being, being held off. Judgment will ultimately come to people who turn away from God. But, I mean, right now, there's still some grace that's available to people who are out there, even that are in sin. God desires to show mercy. But if people choose to reject mercy, then judgment will come. And uh, right now, that is, is, is being perverted in the world. But I thank the Lord that the other day, I was going down the road, and it was raining, and I looked up, and there was a rainbow. God still had his banner up in the sky saying that he would never destroy mankind from off of the face of the earth. But it's a desperate thing when it comes down to the point, and as we saw here historically where God said, look, there's no remedy for this. I'm just going to wipe everybody out. Everybody's going to go. Except it says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Now, the reason why the story of Noah uh, jumped up on the rainbow, one of those things was that we talked about the promise that came with Jesus and how there were forerunners to Jesus who spoke prophetically about his coming. They spoke about his life and what he would accomplish with his life. And then even after his birth, while he's still a babe in arms, eight days after his birth at the temple, we saw Simeon and Anna both speaking about his life and prophesying about what would be accomplished in his life. One thing I noticed when going through this study and looking at it was that we know that when Adam and Eve were on the earth, that God commissioned Adam and Eve with a mission in the earth. They had a purpose for living. They had a purpose for being on the earth. It was God-ordained that they were here. God commanded them, they, firstly, that they were created in the image of God. And then we're also told that they were to multiply and, and to, to populate the earth in that image, in that same kind. Just like all the other animals and all the other plants were produced, reproducing in kind, Adam and Eve were supposed to reproduce in kind. They were supposed to be uh, as their seed were spreading out through the earth, they were supposed to be populating the earth with the image of God, the nature of God. 
And uh, we know that, that they sinned. We know that that plan was corrupted. But even though they were given a commission and a place, when you go back, and I know that you love to do this. How many of you love studying the genealogies in Scripture? You love to who begat and he begat and she begat, and, you know, and then it goes through. Uh, I believe there's five genealogies in, in uh, Genesis. Um, but if you love digging into the genealogies, I don't know you don't, but... Um, the passage right before this, verse 5, is a genealogy, the descendants of Adam. And uh, you can go through and see how long they lived. That's fascinating and things like that. But if you go to verse 28, it says, Then Lamech was 182 years old, or when Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son. Lamech named his son Noah, which, by the way, the, the name Noah means rest. He said he uh, named him Noah, for he said, May he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming, farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. And so, prophetically, Lamech was speaking over his son Noah, believing that Noah would bring rest and, and that Noah somehow would bring relief from the hard labor and the cursing of the earth. He had a prophetic vision. He had a desire to see Noah. Why is it that he expected his son, this little baby, to be that hope, to be able to bring that rest? And that was very interesting to me to see that. If you go back and look at the genealogy and you see the lives of those who lived from the time of Adam to the time of Noah, and it's about 11 generations that are there. But you'll also find that there is not one of those people throughout those generations that's spoken of as having a God-ordained purpose. Now, we've got Enoch who walked with God, and then he was not because God took him. But there's no mention of his purpose and what he was intended to be doing in the earth. They were all living out their years, but there's no God-given purpose. Noah was the first one that came along that had a commission from the Lord to do something. And his commission came in a desperate time. And what's amazing is that man was never intended to live without fellowship with God. God breathed into man and man became a living soul, a living being. It's that breath of God, that fellowship and intimacy with God that takes us and makes a distinction between us and the animal kingdom. We, we, we're classified as a part of the animal kingdom, and a lot of science today would put us in the same category as animals, but God distinguished mankind. We're not just mere creation like the rest of the animals. We are, we are infused with the nature of God when God breathes on us, and, and God never intended for mankind to live outside of fellowship with Him. But we see what's hap what happens to mankind when man does live outside of fellowship. Depravity, moral decay, and, and ultimately the death and the, the despising of other mankind. Uh, they began to take one another's lives and even made a mockery of it. The corruption became uh, systemic within them. And there, ha there had to be a radical plan to bring a change to that. And, and sadly enough... That radical plan, at this point, the corruption was so systemic and so deep that it, the only remedy that God saw was to wipe out mankind from the, from the face of the earth and come back to a singular person. And, you know, it's interesting. It says that, that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't say his wife found favor. It doesn't say his sons or their wives found favor. But God said that Noah found favor. And God set a plan in motion. God set a plan in motion. He told Noah, look at, look at um, verse 14 of chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. Let me just start out and say this. At Noah's birth, there was already a promise. God spoke prophetically through his dad and said that this one will bring relief. This one will bring rest. His dad, Lamech, didn't even know about it. And I went back and checked the dates uh, by the time that, that Noah got to the age where he would build the ark, because I wondered, Lord, God, what about all of Noah's family? I mean, when all those people were wiped out, what happened to the ones that he loved and that he cared for? And one of the things that I saw just by matching up the dates was that apparently uh, it doesn't mention Noah's mom. Uh, we don't have any information on her in the Scripture, but it does say that um, based on the age of Noah that his dad would have already passed away about five years before that. So he didn't see his dad die in the flood. Um, 
I can't even fathom what it would be like to be locked in an ark like that. Um, I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself. And to know that everybody else in existence outside of there, outside of that ark, is perishing. There's nothing you can do about it. He did not do it. He was not responsible for it. So he had no sense of guilt or, or weight of, of guilt with regarding that. But, but uh, everybody had chosen their fate when they rejected God. And they were, they were wiped out. That's a very harsh thing. But God said to him in verse 14, told Noah, said, Noah, build an ark. Build a large boat, it says in, in this rendering. He said, but build an ark from cypress wood and waterproof it. And when, if you go in and look at that, I did the math on it. It was 750 feet long. That's huge. 750 feet long. And it was 75 feet wide. And then there were three decks. So by my calculation, and I'm not a builder and I don't do this, but by my calculation, that uh, brought it out to about uh, 101,500 square feet. 101,250 square feet. That's a big boat. And I don't know, uh, I don't know how many of you have been up to go see the, the uh, replica of the ark. Has anybody here been to see that yet? You have? It's big. It's huge. But God had a plan. What's interesting is that God took that plan and he communicated that plan to a man. It would be, I just want to speak that to us. Um, God's got a remedy to what's going on the earth today. God's got a remedy and God's already promised that he does not desire to use a flood to wipe everybody out. Now, now folks, God has set his plan in motion with regards to Jesus Christ. God put the remedy in the earth. Uh, we were down in Columbia, and they uh, use uh, terminology in the schools down there that, that you are like a computer system. You're like a system that's been created, and, and you, you should function perfectly, except that your system has been infected with a virus. You're infected with a virus, so you can't function the way you're supposed to function. But God's got a remedy, an antivirus that can step in there and eliminate the virus from your system. The antivirus is Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And he can set your system back in order the way it's supposed to be so you can function the way you're supposed to. And because they use the verbiage uh, of computer technology, the schools down there are embracing it, getting them to come in. And they come in there and teach the kids uh, values on how to live. And there are thousands and thousands of schools down there that are, being, being, are using that, that system right now. But mankind was infected with the virus of sin. And unless there's a remedy that, that we are condemned to never really fulfill the purpose and the plan that we were created for, we will never uh, be able to exemplify the image of God. We will never truly be able to show the nature of God except for the antivirus Jesus Christ has been given. God has a plan. He has a remedy. But he needed a man through whom he could work to get that plan in place in the earth. And so he communicated with the man Noah and said, Noah, I need you to build an ark. I need you to create a refuge. I need you to set something in motion and be willing to work with me in this so that I can sustain life in the earth. Not just for mankind, but for creation, for all the living creatures of the earth. Noah had to be willing to agree with God. And folks, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of times when God comes and speaks to us and gives us, it can be a creative idea of something that he gives to you that you can do in business or in life or in communicating with your friends and families the truth about the gospel. But how many times when God comes and, and communicates his plan to us, do we stop him in the tracks and say, but God, what about this? Or I'm not capable or I'm not qualified or I've got this thing that's a hindrance to me and I've got this thing that I've got I'm, I'm busy that day and and God's looking for somebody a Noah in the earth that he can work through to be able to bring life and sustain life and bring hope but a lot of times we say but God Noah could have said but God I've, I've never built an ark before God that's huge are you sure did I miss you but thank the Lord that he didn't because we wouldn't be here A lot of times we put roadblocks before God, and we hinder him in his purpose and his plan. I'm gonna, y'all going to think that I'm meddling in a little bit. Can we, firstly, we've got to have an eye on God's plan. We were having a discussion around here this week, and one of the things we got to talking to was understanding a purpose, Defi being able to define the mission 
understanding what it is that we're here for and what we're wanting to accomplish. And I'm still praying to God, Lord, help me to be able to communicate clearly what we're doing. I know that God wants to use us to transform lives. I don't know every vehicle that God's going to use us to do that in. I know that God wants us to take the gifts that we have and get involved in some of the programs that already work in our community. I know that God wants us to use home groups, cell groups, uh, uh, connect groups, to be able to have an environment where people can come together in a safe space so they can answer the questions that they, need to, that they don't have the opportunity to, to ask right here, that they can to ask those questions and they can build deep relationships with one another, they can walk through life together. I believe that connect groups should be a key part of what we're doing. People need that kind of space. It does not have to look like Sunday night every time. It doesn't have to follow the same schedule. It may be Tuesday morning. It may be at a donut shop. It may be at, at uh, maybe a Bible study at your home. It may be in your workplace. This week I, I went through, I, I told you something about a program I came in contact with down in Columbia produced by the organization Lared, the ministry Lared, where it has uh, biblical principles that they take people through. They call the little gatherings roundtables, and they sit down and they have a lesson that they go through. This week I went through that with one person and I want to give opportunities for people who may be interested in taking something like that, a a tool that you can use, sit down and have an hour discussion going through this thing and I would love to see that be used in our church. But God is going to make plain, pray for me so that God can help me be able to communicate what he puts in my heart. But folks, God's going to take the gifts and abilities he's put inside of us and he's going to activate them and take this inside use it inside our church and outside of our church to impact the kingdom of god in this area i don't want to just keep going on and and doing exactly they ate they drank they married wives they were given in marriage until the day just doing whatever they pleased See, the problem was that people just got caught up in doing whatever they pleased without any kind of vision or understanding what God was wanting them to do. They were just living their lives, satisfying themselves. I want to make sure that my needs are met, that everything's taken care of for me, and then I can just kind of have my frivolous time and do other things with no vision about what God wants done. Folks, we're the people of God. We've got to be looking, God, what do you want to do with my life? Do you have a clear defined vision about why God has you here on the earth? We're not just passing time. I remember when Cecile and I had just gotten engaged, I went out to Cleveland, Tennessee to go visit her. And I had had this thing stirring. It was that early in my life. I was probably 21 maybe, 21, 22, something like that. And I remember I was going to go meet her friends in college, and I, I didn't mean to be meddling, but I remember the question that God put in my heart because I, I wanted to ask people that I came in contact with that had been burning on, in me all the way from North Carolina to, to uh, Tennessee. So why did God put you here? You know, and they would have probably thought, you are a strange bird. But that's something that's been in my heart for people and for the people of God. Why did God put you here? What is it that God placed you in the earth for? Why in God's uh, uh, eternal uh, understanding of time and what needed to happen in the earth in order to bring about his, his eternal plan? Why was it that God placed you in the earth at this time, child of God, called by God, anointed by the Lord? Why did God place you here? Is there something that burns in your heart? Is there something that God is put inside of you as a vision and a purpose and if he has are you working towards that but there are things that that hinder god's ability to to work in our lives now i spent some time this week and and uh i was riding down the road and this thought come to my mind because if you look at hebrews chapter 12 you can turn over there hebrews chapter 12 God's got a plan. He just needs a man or woman, someone who's willing to work with them to accomplish that purpose. God's chosen to work through us to accomplish his plans in the earth. Hebrews chapter 12, and look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd, crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. 
and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, I just want to start out with this, and it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, who are the huge crowd of witnesses? Those that have gone before us, they are observing what's going on the earth. I even uh, saw one commentator this week that says there's also a crowd of witnesses that are looking at us, that they are people who are wanting to see a display of God. They're wanting to see. We've got people who are observing our lives, and they want to see if God is real. They want to see if we're real. What do they see in us? But this passage goes on. We, we've got to make sure that we're living in such a way that we're representing God's well and that we are, are living our lives and, 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 uh, and leading people that, that are around us and, and we're being a good testimony about who God is. It says here that, that we've got a, a, a great crowd of witnesses that are watching us. Then it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Now, I got to thinking about that every weight. And I know we're coming to, to New Year's and that means New Year's resolutions and and all those things that go along with that. So I can, can I just do a visual? Can I do a visual? Um, I got to wondering. I said, so how much does one gallon of, of uh, animal fat weigh? No, that's not. One gallon of animal fat. Look, I went out the other day and, and bought, uh, I bought some lard. And this little tub right here is 62 ounces. It says four pounds, okay? Four pounds of lard. Now, not one of us would take a spoon and dig in and just go at that lard. <laughs> but on a biscuit or something like that, or in a biscuit, there may be another story. Uh, every one of us knows that that's not healthy to just eat that, right? But people do, we do. We just mix it with things and then we eat it. But the reason why I got the lard was because in a, in a more sanitary, or, or that's one of the best ways that I could do a display of what, about what animal fat is or human fat is. That's one tub right there. That's four pounds worth. So um, I got to doing some math, and so y'all don't hate me, um, but I got a five-gallon bucket there, and that five-gallon bucket, so one gallon of animal fat. You probably wouldn't get this in very many, many churches today. Uh, one gallon of an animal fat weighs about, what, in the calculation that I saw online, was about 7.3. Well, 7.3. It's not the ounces, but 7.3. If you, that means that every 7 plus pounds that, that we are carrying around extra is like a gallon of fat that we're carrying around. Isn't that a terrible visual? Then you get to this, I, I really started meddling, I went to that five-gallon right there. I said, well, what, what's a five-gallon? A five-gallon is equivalent of 36 pounds of fat, 36 and a half, actually. So that's a five-gallon bucket. So if you start doing the math on that, if, if someone needed to lose about 147 pounds, it's equivalent of carrying around four five-gallon buckets a fat. No wonder it's tiring and exhausting. Can you imagine? Like, if I was going to get someone to run a race in here, who would be a good, come on, help me out, who would be a good person in here for us to pick to run a marathon? <laughs> Strangely enough, that's the same name that came to my mind. Ben. Um, uh, I've never been a distance runner, never enjoyed that, but Ben does it for the fun of it. Ben, but if you look at Ben, you don't see a lot of this right here. Um, ben is as lean as can be. Um, but I got to thinking about that. If Ben were to, to come up here and we were to say, Ben, we want you to, to go jog and go do that marathon, but we need you to, to carry these four buckets. Now, these are empty, but if they were filled up, that would be difficult for Ben the mission that he was being sent on would be hindered by the weight that he was carrying, right? So this is a, a, a very almost gruesome visual right here. But folks, we, we're talking about, about animal fat and things like that. We don't want to... 
I would not want to have to get up and carry that around. I would not have to be waylaid by that. If I was getting ready to go do something, I would not have to, to be hindered by that. And, but, folks, every one of us in some way, shape, or form, there are certain things that are weights that we carry around in our lives that are a hindrance to what God can do. So what is it that the enemy would love to attach to us? What, what things does he use that he attaches to us to hinder us in the fulfillment of God's purpose and plan for our life? It's not just, it's not animal fat. There's other things. Sometimes he weighs us down with our past. There are, there are you know, uh, when God called Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go speak to Pharaoh. He said, but I can't speak well. I can't speak well. Well, folks, let me just, can I set your mind at ease? If God calls you to do something, don't you think he knows about all the details of your life? That he either has a remedy for your details or he's got a workaround, something he can do to be able to help you accomplish what you need to do. God's intention when he calls you is he knows who you are. He knows where you've come from. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow and the next day after that. But he's already looked at you and he said, I've chosen you. Praise the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If God calls you and speaks to your heart and gives you a, a plan or gives you a purpose or gives you a vision to do something, just shout hallelujah and say, God, yes. I don't understand all that. I remember driving down the road. I won't get specific in this, but I was driving down the road here a few months ago. And the Lord said, will you receive this? And I said, yes. And then I said, but God, I don't, what is that? You know, I need a little more detail on that. But I said, yes, first, because whatever it is, Lord, if you want me to do it, uh, um, I can't get into that because the Lord's just checking me on I don't need to go any further with that. But we need to agree with God and decide to go with God and trust that if God has called us, he also knows how to get us through it. But, folks, there are things that hinder us from being able to accomplish the purposes of God, and we've got to put away every weight. There are some very specific areas that God has started bringing to my mind that I cannot share today. God has begun restoring to me some things that he took away from me back at, around 1989 when I shared a, uh, a secret ahead of time. God gave me a secret. He had me praying about some things that he wanted to do in the area. And uh, I started to share that out of time, and God snatched it out of my mind. And, and for all these years, I have not been able to recall them. And then the other day, leaving our Christmas party over here, I received a phone call from a Colombian brother over in Charlotte that I didn't know, but he called me for the first time. And in our trip down the road, he began uh, prophesying and speaking. He said, I feel like I need to pray for you. And he began prophesying about our church. He began prophesying about the things and in that prayer, he restored four of the eight areas that God had given me. So uh, I, I'm not at liberty to share it. I'm not getting ahead of God. <laughs> this time. But there's some things that God's going to start setting in order. And it has to do with our, our mission and our purpose here in the area. The, the reason why God ordained it here, Pastor Eric. And so, but there are things that are attached to our lives that are a hindrance to God. And we've got to decide whether or not we're willing to freely walk in freedom and let go of those things. Are we going to hold on to those things and carry around us and be hindered in the purposes of God? Folks, one of the greatest hindrances to the anointing and God's ability to work through his people is unforgiveness. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to carry that five-gallon bucket around every day of your life? causes you to interpret your relationship with your wife with your husband, your spouse, causes you to inter in interpret the relationship or the intentions of, of your family members, your co-workers, the people you come across in traffic that you don't even know what's on their mind, but you, you view them a certain way or you anticipate that somehow that cutting you off was a rejection or it's, it's a hurtful thing when they may have not seen you or they were oblivious to it, but you want to be angry with them. You lash out. And all you're doing is sowing more seeds back into your life of the pain that you experienced in the past. We've got to get rid of, of unforgiveness. There's a, there, there's a lot of different things that the enemy uses to weigh us down. Self-doubt, insecurity, rejection, 
There's a lot of different things that are emotional in that type of way that the enemy would use to try to keep us from fulfilling his purposes. Folks, we have got to understand who we are in Christ. Put, a, put behind us the past. It's not just our actions. Sometimes it's the things that we have allowed to attach themselves to us. We've got to get beyond that because we cannot effectively fulfill the purpose and the plan of God without letting go of those things. Eliminate from your life all those things that hinder you from fulfilling the purpose of the Lord. And then it goes on in this scripture in, in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Sin comes in a whole lot of forms. Sometimes there are habit patterns that we have entertained. And I've said this time and time again. I'm going to say it again. You know, sometimes that, that sin is something that we're actively involved in, and sometimes it's just in how we use our time. God gave us 24 hours of the day, seven days a week. There's not a person alive that has more time than you have. There's not a person alive that's got less time than you have. How'd God work that out? It's amazing to me. You think about the greatest achievers in the earth. What they accomplished, they accomplished within 24 hours, seven days a week. The people that do nothing but just watch television and don't have enough time to do the important things in life, they've still got 24 hours, seven days a week. So if we say we don't have enough time, either we've got too much on our plate or we're saying that God didn't know what he was doing. We may be using our time for things we shouldn't be using our time for. And let me just, before you beat yourself up too much, I just want to tell you, it's okay to rest. But your life shouldn't be rest. Your life sh should be fulfilling the purpose that you're here for and then resting to be able to be recharged so you can continue doing the work. So we need to put, a, put aside the sin. It, it's not just actions of sin. And it's not just, I, I want to say when we talk about sin, it, it's also the attitudes. It's also that unforgiveness and not letting go of the past. It's also believing that you can't more than believing that God can. It's putting restrictions on the purposes of God by self-doubt. It's about holding attitudes against other people that are weights that lo load us down and keep us from being able to, we can't reach out and we can't love and we can't do what we're supposed to because we're carrying around all that weight and it's a hindrance to what God wants to accomplish for us. We've got to let go. Can I tell you what sin is? Sin <laughs> is not giving someone the same measure of grace that God gave to you. Not giving other people the same measure of grace that God has given you. It says that that sin trips us up. It hinders us. It stops us in our tracks. It makes us fall down. Why? Because we chose to hold on to the sin and let those things weigh us down. And then it says, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. What is the race that God set before you? Man, I'm glad I don't have to run marathons. Yeah, yeah thank you. <clears throat> I used to love to do sprints. I never loved distance running. If I had the physical ability to do that, I, I might would do that, and I might could develop the physical ability to do that, but it hurts to think about it. Um, <clears throat> but whatever the race is that God said before you, run it with endurance. Run it with, with passion. Nobody gets out there on the start line for a marathon, hopefully not expecting to do well, that is never trained, that is never prepared. Just, I think I'll run a marathon. I'm going to just go out there, don't even have the right running shoes on. I'm sure I'll do just fine. No, folks, strain towards the prize. Equip yourself, prepare yourself. Spend time in the presence of God. Spend time in His Word. If God's given get a vision for you, I, you know, uh, musicians, nobody's going to pick up a guitar and just get up there and think that they're just going to play. 
Logan got up there and, and, and played this morning. I know a few years ago when he was just picking up the guitar, it sounded a little bit different. <laughs> but he spent time with the guitar in his hands. It's the fingertips hurt, and you got to build up the calluses, and you got to play that chord and stretch those fingers and work it until it gets to the point where it's not so much a strain. And then you move beyond just being able to hit the chord to where you're doing the strumming to where it's actually a musical thing and a rhythm. And then it becomes something that you can play and sing and flow because you become exercised in the gift that God gave you. It's not just to pick up a guitar and it feels good because i got a guitar in my hand. It's not just I like the way I look with a guitar. Some people do that with a calling. Some people are fascinated with the fact that they have a calling. And rather than pursuing that calling and honing their gift and pressing into the Word, they just like to announce to people that they've got a calling or a title or something like that. And yes, God's got to desire what He could accomplish through their lives, but they're allowing the weight and maybe uh, inability to exercise and develop in their gift to where they can't really accomplish what God, God desired to use them. I'm sad to say this, but I've, I've, I've been very close to and people that I knew had a call on their life. I could feel the Spirit stirring that gift inside of them and stirring that gift inside of them, but then the weight of, of things from their past and the weight of things from their present ended up causing them to miss the fulfillment of that. Not because God couldn't have fulfilled it, but they allowed obstacles to stay in that place. Chemical dependencies, behavioral things, relationships that they're involved in that they shouldn't be involved in, the use of time, all of these things become hindrances to God being able to fulfill what He desires. And let me just, can I, one, another area I need to touch. Folks, there's a prevalent spirit in our nation right now and around the world. It's, it is a time thing with regards to mankind's time in the earth. There's a time thing going on, and it is a spirit of lawlessness that's been released in the earth. They gloat in it. They love the fact that they're lawless. I, I, uh, I uh, even saw just, I don't even know where this clip came from, but I saw this little brief clip from, uh, a lot of you may not even know, but you know who David Bowie was? British musician from years ago. And he said, I, I picked, I, I picked, uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have the right word, but he said he basically he chose the vehicle of music because it was the most anarchy. It gave him the opportunity to react against the system more than anything else. He saw it as being one of the best vehicles for doing that. And right now in society, lawlessness is trying to become the norm. They want to disrupt. They want to cause chaos. They want to cause confusion. They want to cause the crash of the system so that they can do their own thing. What was going on in the days of Noah? Everybody was doing their own thing. It's a sign of the time. At the return of the Lord, what's going to be going on? Everybody's just living out their lives. They're just doing their own thing with no concern about what God desires and what God's plan is and what God's standard is. It's a sign of the time. Lawlessness, but folks, lawlessness is involved is, is in, the, in the church as well. I'm not talking about some type of legalistic thing, but I... More than anything, lawlessness is an expression of an unwillingness to follow God's plan and God's purpose and God's principles and let His purpose and His plan govern our lives. That's lawlessness. It's rebellion. Scripture says that rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. What is it? Self-will. I'm going to do my thing. I know what the right thing is to do, but I'm not going to have anybody tell me what to do. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. God's intention for the believer is, and I'm going to say every believer, God's intention for every believer is that we be a spirit-led life. That our lives is governed and directed by the Holy Spirit. Not every one of us has all of this scripture memorized. There's only just, let me see, who? None of us have this whole Bible memorized. I know someone that, that did have the whole Bible memorized, he was an amazing biblical scholar and teacher, but he had the whole Bible memorized, and he would just walk around. He also had a photographic memory. I think that helped. But he would walk around, and I'd see him mumbling. I remember going to his house one time, speaking to his wife, and he was retired at that time, but he would just walk around out the yard, and I'd see him. I said, Miss Glenda, I said, is, is, he, is he okay? Papa Swales. I said, is Papa Swales okay? And she said, he's fine. He's just out there reciting the Bible to himself. 
just walking around, uh, talking to himself and sharing the word. But there is a spirit that's infecting the church as well. It's lawlessness. There's religious, uh, even in a religious environment, lawlessness can prevail. Um, I don't want to get too deeply involved in that because some of it bothers me. But God's desire is that we live Holy Spirit-led lives. Now, I'm going to share something with you in a way that may be kind of com- controversial for you. So bear with me. Please get my heart in this. <clears throat> okay, I'm, I was born in a Pentecostal church, grew up in a Pentecostal holiness church, and I thank the Lord for much of what was instilled inside of me. But folks, even among Pentecostal denominations, there was a lot of misunderstanding when it came to the Holy Spirit and His anointing. Yeah, the Holy Spirit was seen as, experience, as an experience, and He was seen as an expression or an action more so than He was understood for who He was as a third part of the Godhead that had come to infuse us with His life, to come dwell with inside us. It was seen as an experience. Some would have an ecstatic experience of the, uh, of the anointing of the Lord. And then, but, but I'm going I'm to, y'all bear with these illustrations. I've got a few illustrations here I want to just share with you. I want you to understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit is not just to give you an experience. Acts 1.8 says, and you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If we've received the Holy Spirit, there should be evidence of power. Now, let me just let me preface that. Part of that is us learning how to work with that power. I'm going to ask you a question. If I were to walk over to an outlet here, and uh, we used to do foolish things over in Africa, and I was in a dorm, and we used to play with 220 voltage just loose wires, we'd stick something in the third post and, and have raw wire and open that post, stick those wires in there and, and then wire them up to stuff. And they had a switch to switch on and off. But, I mean, it was just raw. I mean, an electrical inspector around here would have a fit. But we used to play with electricity like that. Well, folks, let me just tell you something. If I were to take a live, we'll go 110 to make it a little bit lighter on you, but if I were to just to touch you with 110, what would your reaction be? <laughs> you know, a reaction, a, you, sh- you shout and things like that. Well, let me tell you, that's what most people do with the Holy Spirit. Most of our response to the presence of the Holy Spirit or to the touch of the Holy Spirit is the ouch and the reaction to the Holy Spirit. It's more of that type of demonstration rather than it is the Holy Spirit being able to work through us to accomplish His purpose. I can remember, Pastor Eric, the first time that I ever fell out in the Spirit, and that was when we went over to Greenville to a service with Buddy Harrison. And I was seeing, I mean, I'd been in churches and I'd seen people fall out, but I'd never fallen out. It was still a little bit of a strange thing to me. And I remember standing there, and Buddy got two people for me, and all of a sudden the hair on my arm stood up, and I just felt something going on. And when he came, came by me and, and prayed for me, I don't even know if he touched me or just there. I just know I fell out, and the next thing I knew I was picking myself up off the floor. It was a, there was an anointing there. There was a response to that. But, folks, what's happened with the Holy Spirit, a lot of us have, um, I'm not trying to point your fingers or anything, but basically we've become reactionary to the Holy Spirit without allowing the Holy Spirit to flow into us so that he can accomplish his purpose through us. See, that live wire plugged into the wall really is not serving any purpose other than causing a reaction. But God's intention is to take the power that's flowing through that wire and attach it to something so that it can accomplish a purpose. So I want you to get this. The anointing of the Lord that God has given you, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life is not just to give you an, a feeling or reaction. God wants us to be able to channel that presence of God. If every time I was up here or another minister was up here and we felt the anointing, if we fell out on the ground or started shouting and didn't do anything with the anointing, what effectiveness would that have for the body? But God's intention when a minister, and let me just preface and say we're all ministers if we're children of God. God's intending to work through us. 
God wants us not just to feel His presence, but allow His presence and His power to work through us to accomplish something. It is to activate gifts. It's for there for works of service. It's there to give you power to be witnesses. So we shouldn't just be coming to have a feeling or just be having an ecstatic experience. We should be allowing that Holy Spirit to be channeled through us to accomplish His purposes. A lot of, a lot of churches that you go to, you hear a lot of a shouting, a lot of hollering. You see people fall out and things like that. And it used to bother me because we would have someone fall out on the Spirit. And then, and then there was evidence that there was anointing there. But somehow they would get up off the floor and be in the same condition. The, the anointing had not accomplished what is intentional. And I remember praying for people lying on the floor, seeing them down there, and their face still, they had fallen out, but they were uh, worried, concerned on their face, and I'm just going down and praying for them until I saw the peace come over them, that God transformed their, their physical visage. But I want you to really consider that. Pray about that. Uh, you ever seen those pictures on, on some kind of video where there's a whole bunch of firemen out there, and they've got a hold of a fire hose, and that fire hose is going all over the place, and they're trying to get control of that fire hose. Well, that's what some of our services uh, in some of the churches I've been in have been like spraying all over the place, but there's a fire that needs to be dealt with. And so as believers and as spirit-filled believers, folks, we need to allow the Holy Spirit not just to work in us to where we get a good feeling and we're content with that, but God, what is it that you're trying to accomplish through that anointing? How can we focus that anointing on where it's needed? Help us to deal with the fire that needs to be put out or put on. And, and help us to be effective in your anointing. Do you get that? The Holy Spirit is desiring to, we're like stallions. There's gifts inside of us that God's got there, but he wants to take and harness those gifts and help us to be effectively used in those gifts. God wants to set people free. God wants to change lives. I remember years ago, the teaching that said, God can get money to you, but can he get money through you? God can get money to you, but can he get money through you? When I was preparing this, the Holy Spirit, I can get power to you, but can I get it through you? He can get the anointing to us, but can he get it through us? We need to move from being re receptors or receivers of and as receivers of, be givers and start pouring out his anointing, start pouring out his blessings on people's lives. <sighs> well, Genesis chapter 9, and I'm just going to, we're going to touch this really quickly and then I'm going to close. God's intention with Noah was. We can look at what God did with Noah and have the wrong perspective because there's one side of looking what Noah and, and humanity, our humanity causes us to be able to look at what God did at the time of Noah in the wiping out of all those people who, who died in that thing. And it's heartbreaking to think of that many lives being lost. I mean, every living soul, animal, everything outside of the ark lost their life. And our humanity causes us to look at that and, and we, we, there's no way we can't be shocked by that event but the other aspect of it was that we need to see is looking at it from redemption eyes and be able to see if it hadn't been from Noah and his family that there would have been no hope that everybody but there was actually it wasn't just judgment it was actually salvation what God was working was the preservation of mankind not the destruction of all mankind grace preserved some so that we could have hope So it's not just destruction. It is salvation that God worked through Noah. We're here because of it. Everyone that we know and love is here because of it. It says in, in chapter 9, verse 1, Then God blessed Noah and his sons. This is after the flood. I'm not going to go through all the detail and all the things that were there. And told them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And there's some other things that he touched on here he said i want to stop right there there was a mandate that came to adam and eve there was a mandate that came back to noah god's intention for mankind god 
God and women, mankind that are called by God, and that we be fruitful and multiply in the earth. That's still a mandate that rests upon us today. I just want to challenge you and, and, and let you see, see something, because this is what the Lord is telling me. Folks, in our own, in our own way, we are a Noah. You are a Noah. God wants to use you to be a person of promise in the earth. God wants to use you as someone that he can favor in the earth, that he can put his anointing on, that he can bless you, that he can use you to be a purveyor of salvation and grace to the people you come in contact with. God wants us to be fruitful and multiply. He intended uh, his purpose tied in with what Jesus accomplished on the cross is that, I mean, the, the church itself should be like an ark. It should be a safe place. It should be a, a place of preservation. It shouldn't be a place that's tied up with a lot of sin and tied up a lot of self-will and tied up with a lot of uh, judgment and criticism. It should be a place of preservation and safety, a place where people can come in contact with one another and can help nurture the gifts and the abilities of God where we can be fruitful together for the kingdom of God. In a sense, the church is kind of like an ark. We're here to accomplish God's purposes in the earth. Everything out there in the world may be falling apart. The other day I was sitting watching TV and uh, an ad came on there, and they said, I don't know if you've seen this ad, but they said, I'm taking the pill. I'm on the pill. They started talking about the pill that they were on. And it, then you, it became plain that they were not talking about uh, child prevention type pill. Or, but what they're talking about is an AIDS prevention pill. And if you watch that ad, blatantly the people who are involved in that are involved in homosexuality and, and uh, intercourse outside of marriage and things like that. And they're talking about taking a pill to prevent AIDS being carried out. And even if you take the pill, uh, not AIDS being carried out, but getting HIV, even if you take the pill, still you're supposed to be tested every three months to make sure. And so it's just making a place for promiscuity and trying to avoid AIDS. But they're all, I mean, there's transvestites on there. And, and it's just very blatant that, that this is outside of the scope of God. Folks, no matter what happens in the world, no matter what's going out of the world, we need to be an ark. We need to be a refuge. It doesn't mean that we are condemning and, and, and judging them. And if we're not giving hope to them, then we're missing part of our mission. God wants to save those who will. God is not intending to wipe out the earth with a flood again. There will be a day of judgment for those who choose not to turn to God. But God's in the method right now because of the grace that came through Jesus to be able to save everyone who will. And that's our mission. We multiply through lives saved. That's what God's intention is. I'm at a place where I'm, I'm wanting to close. But folks, God's given us what we need. We've got the broad plan of what God wants to do with regards to saving souls. He's given us His anointing and His Holy Spirit to be able to equip us to be able to do that. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit's come, come upon us. And we've got to understand that the world is our mission as we come in contact with them. We need, we need to rescue those who are perishing, rescue those that we can and come, as we come in contact with them. May God use us effectively for his purposes. Heavenly Father, God, I want to pray for this people, dear God. Lord, we are a part of a great big family all around the world, dear God, but we have to do our part where we are. God, we've got to be on mission. We've got to be on task. We've got to be on purpose. Lord, there are a lot of desperate people out there. Some of them flaunt their sin in front of us. And for some of them, it's a brazen attempt to mock who we are. God, for some of them, it's, a, it's an unusual cry from the inside, hoping that they can get a voice of hope that will set them free from the course that they're on. God, help us to be gracious. And rather than being offended by their sin, dear God, let us be purveyors of your grace and your anointing, dear God. Lord, I, I pray that you would... I'm praying for you to release your anointing through your people, Lord. Help us to take that anointing that you've given us. And rather than just consuming it on our own desires or our own feelings, your Lord, to be able to take that anointing and channel it into effectiveness in, in doing the work of the ministry. God, I pray that the words that we share, Lord, that we would also, dear Lord, have your anointing go with it, dear Lord, so that there's a super dim supernatural dimension to everything that we do, every word that goes out, dear God so that it would, do, it would not just land on their ears, dear God, but it would pierce their hearts. God, we've got family members right here represented in this room that need your grace. God, that they need this message. Lord, we've got 
people represented here, dear God, who have co-workers. And Lord, we can, you're just, we, we pass from day to day, and maybe the seriousness of it doesn't reach us, dear God, but the reality is that every day that clicks off the calendar, God, every minute that ticks off of our clock, God, is that those people are one day closer to destruction unless the message pierced through that hardened veil of their heart. And God, you've put us in their lives so that we can communicate with them. So God, make us effective. And God, as we're in the middle of this Christmas season that is infused with lights and beauty and hope and giving and goodwill, God, I pray that it would also be full of hope for people who don't know you. And God, we'll give you the praise and the glory for what you're accomplishing. Use us for your glory, dear Lord. Use us, dear Lord, to bring hope to this nation. And God, we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.